way you can have it. Yes. You, you, you've, you've heard it said? I had it mid-sale one time. Mid-sale? Yeah, like, where do you get the tea, the tea from? <laughs> All right, Mr. Mizell. <laughs> so you are running for, we're officially recording. Um, you are running for Johnson County Judge. That is correct. Yes, I am. Okay, so before you came in here, uh, we, we had, you told me a lot about your background. I thought it was very interesting. First off, you're a pastor here in Cleveland. Uh, yes. Um, spec Ops in Air Force. A J, you said... JTAC is JTAC. Spec Ops, Special Warfare. It falls okay. under the Special Warfare, yes. Okay. Uh, ETAC in my day. And then you also run a nonprofit disaster relief? Uh, that is correct. Here? Network, yes, here in North Texas. What is that called? Uh, it is the North Texas District Disaster Response. Okay. And you're telling me, because that's kind of my, I told you that's my undergrad, uh, as a former EMT, that is massive for uh, like the whole idea of networking on how you're able to respond to people sure. is huge. In fact, there was an interesting study that did they did in, I believe it was the, uh, not Hiroshima, not the nukes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fukushima, yeah. where they found that the the response to the community was directly proportional about how well you knew your neighbor and sure. the networking that you had sure. outside of the local government. Absolutely. And so the towns, like the urban environments that had local governments, uh, that they were relying more on local governments, there was higher mortality rate than those who, than the towns who didn't. Um, rely on the local government only relied on knowing your neighbor. So I thought that was pretty interesting when you brought that about how ne- important networking is. Well, FEMA's own study, uh, you look at Hurricane Harvey and how how large that uh, that path of destruction was uh-huh. and how it just kind of camped out and, and just massive destruction. We responded to that. I coordinated teams. But FEMA's own report, uh, if I remember the data correctly, was over 80% of the recovery efforts that were done were done by nonprofits, uh, NGOs, things of that nature. So that kind of gives you the insight of that, that that's accurate. I mean, to know your neighbor and to be able to come together. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where my strength comes in is building those collaborative teams to be able to assist your neighbor. I, you know, there are some things that government can do. Uh, most of the things government can't do. And in times of disaster to be able to go and you yourself being a student of, uh, of emergency management, understand the government, there's a point where they can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you have to leverage and network with all types of people. And there are plenty of wonderful uh, agencies that are spread across the country that that help out in times of disaster, um, come to people's aids. We did a, uh, my team, we responded to the uh, uh, van uh, tornado back uh, a few years ago uh, in Van, Texas. Oh yeah, and yeah, it, it made a huge. Mm-hmm. So we get over there, and uh, I'm running teams every week. So I, I, we meet people there. Go from my church here. We meet at our <laughs> parking lot, load up in the van with my tools, and my trailer, and then we drive over to Van every day, and we do that for two weeks. And so I'm out there cutting a tree for this dude that uh, had pretty much lost most everything. And it's a boat arc tree. And I never had come across a boat arc tree. Hmm. Extremely hard, hard tree. I actually went through a couple of chains trying to cut that uh, that that tree up. But uh, the point being, the, the guy's standing there as we're working on his property. And he says, now, you guys are from Cleburne, right? And I said, well, yes, sir. And he says, well, what are you over here for? <laughs> and I said, man, that's just the right thing to do. I said, when people are hurting, that's where we come in and we mm-hmm. help. And I said, that's where we shine the best. And so that networking, building, building those relationships between government. So, so after I graduated with my master's in emergency management, oh, you know, I, I didn't know you had that. Yeah. Perfect. So, yeah. So I did, I do. Um, <laughs> should so, have, I should have asked at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I have an MS in emergency management. So I, I uh, started teaching 
Uh, in fact, I was a, a speaker at the uh, Emergency Management Association of Texas oh, at one of their annual nice. symposium. Uh, and what they wanted me to teach on or speak on was uh, building relationships between local government and community partners. And that includes your faith-based organizations. And so, uh, you know, you think about the the smaller communities tend to be very religious. And so you have churches, you have people that attend those churches. Well, if a disaster hits that community, you need to know, you, you know, as an EM, if you're an EM, whether it be the, through the fire police or standalone EM, you need to know who those pastors are and say, mm -hmm. hey, can you know, we've got this situation here, kind of like when the one hit in uh, 2014 down in Rio Vista, we, we get a call, I get a call saying, hey, we've got roads that are blocked. Uh, we've got high water rescue things going on down in Rio Vista. Can you help us out? And I was able to mobilize, you know, a chainsaw crew, and we're out there cleaning the tree, cutting the trees and cleaning them off the roads so that EMS could get through mm. while they're doing those high water rescues. So uh, that networking is so important to to me to build in a strong community. So, what made you initially want to get into this, like actually creating an organization here in Cleburne? Uh, for for disaster response, mm -hmm. um, you know that's interesting. I've always been a servant, you know, and and uh, I like you know I'm a servant leader. Uh, I, that's that's just my nature. You know, I'm not one of these guys that as a leader and a manager, I don't just simply say. And that started in the military, you know. So we in the military, you had a primary career, but then we had additional duties, uh, and then we had community involvement. And so if you're going to be promoted in the military, you know, they look at all of those things. They want to see, uh, you know, what's your involvement in the community. Uh, so that really helped me to learn and to grow that, you know, to live others oriented, that's probably a better way of saying it. You know, I want to live my life so that I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, you know, I've responded to disasters before prior to going back to school to, to, uh, earn my degree, I, I just, I helped and, and I saw the benefit, you know, a lot of people don't understand if you're going through, and this is what I tell the people at church, if you're going through a hard time, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to kind of corral, you know, your feelings and kind of box yourself in, put up the walls. Mm -hmm. My suggestion to them always is go find a place to volunteer, go help somebody. And in helping somebody, the therapy comes to you because all of a sudden you start seeing things, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you're just surrounded in that environment of misery, that's all you see. But if you get to go out and help somebody that can do nothing for you, there's no reciprocity whatsoever. They just, you're just doing it because that's the right thing to do. Then you help yourself. It's very mm -hmm. therapeutic. And so I just started helping people and the opportunity presented itself, um, uh, through our denomination. Uh, they, uh, were looking for someone to take over and actually ramp the program up a little bit. And, uh, and, and I'm like, you know what? I, I want to do that. And so I stepped right into that leadership and, uh, that's probably been, I don't know, maybe 2011, okay. 12, something like that. Well, I love how you put that. Um, when you're, when you're volunteering and helping other people is going to give you that perspective to help you deal with what you're going through. And that's how I feel about traveling. I've, I've been, we've been through it a lot, on a lot of mission trips my wife and I love traveling. We've been to Nicaragua, um, Germany, Me too. Nicaragua. What part of Nicaragua? Managua. Yeah. 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 Hogar de Fe was a, uh, <laughs> a orphanage out there that we always hung out with. Man, they were so cool. We missed them so much. We probably went five, six times over a four-ish year period, twice a year for a while. Um, great connections. But every time we went, it was, you know, we built them stuff, which was good. But I always left way different than going in, of course, because you think you're going there to help them. But you always 
leave yeah. like, oh my gosh, we have it really good here. I think that's the ulterior motive that most pastors have in getting people out of their church <laughs> yeah. into a, the mission field is that, yeah. you know, we understand what's going to take place. You know, there's a transformation. Yeah, you're doing something to bless mm-hmm. those local people, but there's a transformation that takes place by serving somebody. And yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's what, that's what, that's my whole reason for being is just to serve. Hmm. Okay. So you've, I, I want, I would love to talk more about that, but I know we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> um, so now you're running for judge, you know, you're, you're have a strong military background, master's degree in EM. Um, you volunteer seemingly all the time. You're very quick response. I have a great networking. Now, why judge? Why Johnson County judge? Uh, you know, it's a, I think, well, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. I, to me, uh, you can either live your life as a uh, as a thermometer, and and if you follow that analogy, what does the thermometer do? It measures the temperature, or you can live your life as a thermostat, and a thermostat sets the temperature. And of all the positions in the county government, the county judge is the one who sets the the temperature. You know, so uh, when you say set the temperature, you mean for like for all the other cities? Well, well, in particular, the county services. Okay. In particular, the county services, and I do think it has a trickle to uh, the cities that lie within Johnson County. Um, my motto in my in my campaign is putting service back in public service. Uh, hmm. And you know, when I was growing up, you know, that's like that. not 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 exclusively because I think you've always had people that have hmm. run for nefarious reasons, uh, maybe self serving, what have you. But you talked about public service. My dad, you know, talking about being uh, EMT, mm-hmm. you know, my dad spent 35 years as a fire department. He was a firefighter for Mobile County in okay. Alabama. So, you know, I grew up watching my dad, uh, you know, when the hurricanes came through, my dad mobilized with the with the crew and, and, and served. And so that was, those are things that were yeah. ingrained in me. And so when it uh, came time, you know, when, when uh, this opportunity presented itself, I thought, you know, here's an opportunity for me to, step into a role that that potentially I could change the atmosphere of politics and you know and maybe that's idealistic maybe uh, but that's okay I tell people all the time let me if I'm gonna dream I'm gonna dream big dreams yeah. and, and let me dream let me dream big so you're a dreamer I am I'm, okay. I'm a dreamer uh, you know I one of the one of the issues that I see a lot and, and I think you would be quite familiar is the disenfranchised there are a lot of people yeah. today that have no connection to their government. You know, they look at the government in an adversarial capacity. You go, you talk to 10 people on the street, at least seven are going to have a negative opinion about government. And and that's at all levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go into a, uh, a governmental office to, uh, to do something, to mm-hmm. conduct business, whatever that type of business might be. And probably seven out of 10 would say, you know, I, I felt like I was a bother. Uh, they don't feel the connection with, with the local government. A million and, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I want to change that. I, I really want to change that. And again, it may be very idealistic, but, <laughs> but that's okay because I truly believe that, that, uh, you know, particularly where we are in, in, uh, in America, we need a change. We need people to have faith in their government. Again, we need people to be able to have the, and I'm not talking about good. I'm not talking about buddy, buddy relationship. I'm talking about just common respect, just common courtesy that, uh, I'm a public servant. I'm here, you know, I'm here to serve my community. And I truly believe that all of uh, that, that many of the issues that we're dealing with in our community 
can be solved with a collaborative, a collaborative effort between government and private entities. I think being able to have communication and dialogue, uh, you know, I mean, to me, the government, local government should reflect the values of that local community. Mm -hmm. And, and the only way that you're going to be able to reflect the values of a local community is by building a bridge to yep. connect with them. Uh, you know, government should enhance my quality of life, not dictate my quality yeah. of life. And, and that's you really said so much there. Oh my gosh. I'm wrapping up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Disenfranchised. Uh, you're absolutely right. Cause like me, my peers, we don't really care about politics anymore because nobody's going to listen to us. Yeah. So why would I ever ask questions to people and try to change things if nothing's ever going to change? And that's been the case for, I mean, my entire life, at least that I can remember. But I've said this to each one of the other candidates as well, where why like, like, why would I try and do anything if nobody's going to listen? And we're the ones putting them in power. Sure. Like, it's the people. So nobody wants to talk to the politicians anymore because it just seems like it's a moot point. There's a there's a loud minority who typically goes to the town halls. And, and that's the big reason why I started this podcast, because I saw this gap that you're talking about, this disenfranchisement for uh, a lot of people in the community, uh, not knowing what's going on with the local leaders, the decisions being made, all this stuff. And, Town halls are supposed to do that, but it's not happening. You know, you have, say, a few thousand people, 10, 20,000 people inside of a uh, a city, and they go to a town hall, there's maybe 20 people that show up. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, we're the one who puts you in power, and we want we we want to, like, I feel like everybody wants to do what's good for their community. But there's always been this gap there, this widening gap that seemingly nobody cares about. Well, I, you know, and, and so as a, as a county judge, you know, one of the things that, that I would strive to do is, is how do, how do we get, so, so for instance, uh, Johnson County is what, 180, 190,000 people. I think it's like 34 uh, cities or something like that. Yeah. So you have, uh, in the last primary election in 2020, I think it was just shy of 11, five, 11,500 people that voted out oh, of, wow. out of 190,000 people. So that's a minority dictating to the majority what's going to take place. And, and, and I know it sounds kind of, kind of a, a, a moot point to say, why should I be involved? Well, that's exactly why, you know, if you think about if, if we get tired of the establishment, the, in, the entrenched establishment system, the only way that you can change that is by involvement and whether, you know, the community activism, which, you know, your podcast would serve as part of that role is educating people and saying, Hey, you know, we have a chance to do something that's, this is our community. Uh, but for me, you know, if, if I'm elected, I, I would want to hear this. I would want to be able to sit down with those who feel disenfranchised to say, hey, we got this deal coming up. You know, let's let's talk about our values. Let's talk about our goals and and try to work for some commonality. Because here's what happens if you, know, you talk about in a community and you only see, you know, maybe 20 people show up at a, at a city council or, you know, I've been going to some of the commissioner's courts and there may only be six people in there. Mm -hmm. uh, again, 190,000 people in the county and you have six people show up. So they got to do business. You know, by law, there are things that they have to do. Yeah. And so they're going to do business and they're going to do business to the best of their ability. But if you don't have the input, <coughs> pardon me, if you don't have the input uh, of everyday citizens, then, mm -hmm. then, I, I think you tend to start doing what you think is best and that's not always what's best. So I think you, you know, that you have to start building those, those bridges. And uh, I was part of an organization years ago and uh, I refused to move up in this organization, you know, moving my steps mm -hmm. 
because it was more of a protest because I didn't like some of the things that were taking place. I didn't like a protest of you not moving up. Yes. So that was my way of protesting. And so I had a, I had a wise uh, gentleman who uh, was the leader of that organization. Uh, Pardon me. Who came to see me one time and I'd written him a letter expressing to him why I did not do the things that others were doing. And so he came to me and he said, uh, he, he came to my office. He said, Mike, here, here's, this is the way I paraphrase it. Here's the deal. This is the kind of way I talk. So he said, here's the deal. <laughs> you can change an organization better from the inside out than the outside in. And for whatever reason that made all the difference in the world, it just absolutely is like that epiphany. The light came on and I thought, you know what? You're right. Hmm. And so I went, I took the next year, I took that step up and, and, uh, got involved deeper, uh, and was able to serve and continue to serve uh, in that organization. Uh, and so I think that getting people in, getting people, um, to, uh, to take an interest because honestly, what goes on at a County level, um, and, and the city and government affects everybody. Mm-hmm. It affects everybody. Absolutely. And that ought to, that, that ought to be something that interests people. You know, I understand being disenfranchised and the frustration. Yeah. I was kind of figuring how, why did, what made you believe that, or think that there's a disenfranchise, disenfranchisement going? Well, because uh, I, I see and hear it, you know, and, okay. and it's not just because I'm on the on the campaign trail. I mean, I've talked to, you know, one of the things that being on the campaign trail has done for me is, you know, I declared, uh, filed my report, very, my very first one, April 21st of last year, started meeting with people in groups. Oh, so and, you've been campaigning since last April? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, not at the same level as we are right now. Yeah. There's just a lot going on, but yeah. um, I I hear it, you know, and I've heard it. Uh, but prior to that, you know, I pastor a large church, yeah. and um, yeah, you know, talking people. And of course, I've been here in the community for 29 years, uh, so I I hear. Um, so I know people are disenfranchised. You know, you hear it in their, in their language. You hear it in their, you know, you'll hear just yeah. a, just a, ca- a casual conversation. You're like, you know what? Those pay- people make me so mad. That's disenfranchisement. You know, they don't feel respected. And and, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, th- I think you could talk uh, employee morale. You know, I truly believe that, you know, if if employees are happy and, and again, understanding what public service is all about, then there's customer service is going to be, better. Mm-hmm. And if customer service is better then the chances of a citizen coming in and having a positive experience with the government that they already have some reservations about, I think is going to be really good. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a lot of uh, people are seeing politics, both federally and locally um, in a centralized way where it's not really supposed to be like that. It seems like the power has kind of gotten more centralized. So in your opinion, do you think that that centralized power is more from politicians like I scratch your back, you scratch mine, you know, you get elevated because I of who you know, or is it because people aren't turning out to vote? Yes. Both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I really do. I, th- I think it's both. I mean, there is an entrenched system, uh, no doubt about it, you know, and I've seen it, you know, in my campaign, I've heard about it all my tenure here in, in, in Johnson County, but I've seen it. And, uh, you know, why, you know, so people get to the point where, why bother? Yeah. And they don't bother. And then thus we perpetuate the same cycle, the same cycle. Yeah. You know, what's the definition of insanity? You know, keep doing the same thing over and over, expect, expect different, different results. results. You know, that's insane. And that's what we've been do- doing 
again, and I don't care what level of politics that you talk about, that's exactly what's happened. And you go back to some of the founding fathers and they warned that, you know, if the, if, if the government is late, you know, my, my own paraphrase, and I'm not remember, I don't remember who said this, but they basically said if, if, if the government is corrupt, if the government is lazy, if the government is self-serving, whatever, it is because the people have tolerated these things. And that's exactly right. I mean, you think about if, if you could get a group of people to coalesce together and, you know, voting block and go out, you know, there are things that could change again, very idealistic, but, but the powers that the, the founding fathers vested the citizens with the power. Absolutely. But it, it seems like it's always being corrupted. Of course, that's the human condition. Sure. It's always the same. Like it, to be honest, like when people come in, so each one of you guys who I've had on the podcast are saying very similar things. You're all saying you're running on different platforms, but Mr. Golding is saying the same thing. So is Mr. Bedecker. Um, he Bedecker is focusing really on growth management. Golding is trying to get some of the cronyism is what he says out. And then um, you're kind of doing similar things as well. For me, I'm going, you know, why? Like it seems each person is saying the same thing. Why are you different though? Well, how can I, tr- as a citizen, how can I trust that you are going to be different and actually do what the voters are, are wanting to do? Right. You well, know, that's a point of question. It is it's a hard question, but I'm curious. Well, it's a fair question. Okay. And I think you have to look at, you know, so, so politicians, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to me is to watch candidates and, and I'm not saying that in particular candidate, I'm just saying watch candidates start doing things that they've never done before. You know, they start joining organizations. They start doing all of these things that they've never done before. And that's pandering to votes. And mm-hmm. and that really, that gripes me. Um, because, uh, you know, for me, I tell people all the time, look at my track record. So they're, they're joining organizations to network better on the campaign tree or, or what? Well, maybe network better, but the, the optics of that is bad. You know, if I've, if I've never been part of the chamber, you know, if I've never been part of the rotary, if I've ever, never been part of... You know, whatever, and I go and I'm all of a sudden doing that. You know, I, I don't know. I have I'm I'm a little bit funny. It's like, <coughs> pardon me. Um, uh, somebody asked me the other day about campaign finance. I was doing an interview for the Republican Party here, and they asked me about campaign finance. They said, "Who's behind you?" I said, "What do you mean who's behind me?" And they said, "Well, you know, people that are contributing." I said, "I've never held one fundraiser since I announced my, announced my candidacy. Uh, my in my naivete." Uh, early on, I asked for one or two people to endorse me, but then I never circled back to <laughs> try to shore that up. Yeah. I've never asked again. And and part of that reason, again, and it's my mind, I don't have any issue per se, other than the fact that I want to be very, very careful about why I get in there. You know, I want to do uh, and leverage what I say. And so I say, look at my track record, look at I was serving the community and I hate doing this because I'm not one to talk about myself. I'm very, uh, you know, as a pastor, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not braggadocious at all. Uh, but my whole tenure here in Cleburne for 28 years has been service. You know, our church, we serve, you know, during COVID when COVID hit, uh, and again, this is another way my brain works. So, so when COVID hits in 2020, uh, the first thought that I had was, Oh, oh goodness, we've got kids that won't be having, you know, that school shut down, you know, everything starts shutting down. So I'm thinking, man, we got all these kids and they're not gonna have food to eat. And then I got to think on the other hand, I got all these people that can't, that don't go to work. That's not going to work. So why don't we feed the kids? 
So I called, you know, I mobilized a food uh, a food ministry. And so for two months, I had people come up during the day. We made bag lunches. We made packed lunches. Sometimes it was hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, sandwiches, all kinds of things. And we we did a drive-through lunch service. So we served in probably six to eight weeks, maybe 3,000 people. Uh, and then the schools opened up and they started doing lunch. Well, then I'm also sitting there and I'm thinking, well, these elderly, that was the vulnerable population. We got elderly folks that, you know, maybe they don't want to get outside. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't want to mow their grass. So I created what's called, what we called uh, seniors mowing service. I got all these guys that can't go to work. So why not go mow yards? And so that's what we did. You know, I'd get people, you know, we advertise it through social media, the, the, the paper. And so these people would call and say, Hey, can you mow our yard? And so, you know, I have a lawnmower, I trailer, we, I'd load up, my son and I would go, mm -hmm. men in the church, we'd go and we'd mow people's yards. And then I got to thinking again, see, I get in trouble when I think. <laughs> so I got to thinking, well, what, you know, they don't want to have, they don't want to go to the grocery stores. And so I, I created a ministry we called the senior shopping buddies. And in fact, the city asked to take that under their umbrella and let us run it. So you'd call the city number, but it would come to us because they, it was such a, mm -hmm. uh, just a, uh, just a, uh, innovative, uh, uh, ministry to go and help. And so we would do, I call it drive by, drive by grocery delivery, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, we, they either, either would order online or they would have a list and, uh, leave it outside the door in an envelope. We'd go by and pick it up, go to the store, do their shopping, come back and do the, uh, porch delivery and, and then go on our merry way. Uh, shortly after that, I was able to connect with one of my national partners, uh, through disaster relief. And we started doing the farmers to family food box program. So we started doing that every week and every week we were giving out 1500 boxes of food and milk. Mm -hmm. And we did that from April of 2020 to January of 2021. So we gave out about 55,000 boxes mm. of food. We started resourcing like Blum, Godly, Joshua, Alvarado. You know, I'd, I'd get two trucks to come in, one for Cleburne and then one for these outlying communities because I knew they're not going to get the service. You know, the communities are smaller. They're just not going to get the resources, and I have that connection, and so I wanted to do that. So I'm kind of curious. Um, we went from kind of the support and backing of different politicians to these awesome stories. I'm kind of curious the schema between the connecting point. Well, what I'm saying is look at the track record. Okay. Look at the track record. So, so when you have candidates that are out front in, in front of you and they, and they tout their um, qualifications uh -huh. and maybe their goals, look at their history. You know, what have, what have you done? What kind, are there documented cases where you actually have led organizations? You've been the guy that actually, has had to pull the trigger on decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, those are things I think are important because I think, you know, past behavior is pretty indicative of future mm -hmm. behavior. So if I'm not led anything, if I'm not been a, a, a manager of anything, what makes me think I'm going to be a good manager now mm -hmm. just because I have a particular degree or degree or whatever. So I think you have to look at the track record. Okay. And I'm and, seeing and those see. connect points now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So why do you think that politics is so based upon who endorses you or not? <laughs> I mean, you're kind of taking the exact opposite of what normal politicians do. Yeah. Well, because I want people to vote for me on my own merit. So, so, mm -hmm. if, so if I meet somebody on, on the street and they say, Hey, you know, I hear you're running for a County judge. Can you give me a little bit of information? You know, I, I typically, I have one of these, one of these cards and I use, I'm a good politician. Now I have one of these cards in my go. pocket <laughs> and I hand them a card and I said, you know what? I've got all kinds of stuff on my website. If you'll just go to it, you know, it has my resume on there. It has some 
philosophical statements. You know, I've kind of written articles on there, mm-hmm. uh, and I and kind of give you some insight into who I am. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I kind of lost train of thought there. No, you're good. We're we're just talking about why. Uh, oh, not being endorsed. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, I want I want people to vote for me on my own merit. Okay. You know, rather than. Well, the he Republican knows, so, Party or right, yeah. right, because I, because I, again, I think that is part of our problem. Uh-huh. Is if you're not part of the system, if you've not been the anointed heir or the anointed replacement or you know uh-huh. whatever, then it's awful hard to break through that. I mean, it truly is a closed system. Isn't it kind of like a, a local version of super PACs? Like endorse those type of endorsements. I, I don't know. It, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, you know, people are free to do what they want to. I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm trying to understand. If, if somebody would have, you know, if somebody says, "Hey, I want to, I want to," because I have people. I, I have, you know, I'm not going to say who, but I mean, I have people that serve in that serve currently in different levels of government mm-hmm. that are back, you know, that are encouraging me and helping me and and saying, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're on your team. We're gonna vote for you," uh, but I've not asked them to come out publicly. Uh, and do anything because again, I want people to be able to look at my. So when I go to these functions, that was my next question. Uh, what's that? Did the, exactly what you're talking about because earlier we were talking about kind of the cronyism. I scratch your back, you scratch my back of the higher positions that are electing leaders to these roles and kind of bypassing the voter simulate. Yeah. Um, because it's that I scratch your back, you scratch mine is what is um, an issue with politics, and so it's I'm glad to hear that. It's honestly just you're wanting people to just make their own choices. Yeah, man, what a great what a great country we live in to be able to have four candidates and get to choose. Uh, you know, my caution is, but vote for the guy. Uh, look at their qualifications. Look who's you know who's had that level of of executive organizational leadership and uh-huh. and vote. So with Johnson County, what do you think? I've asked each one of the other ones this as well. What do you think is the most important issue? You know, for me, the most important issue of of Johnson County and I, I, you know, it's hard for me to, to focus on one mm-hmm. because I know what the canned answer is and, and it's going to be the, the exponential growth that we have. And, okay. and I would agree. I, I think that, you know, with the explosive growth throughout the County, you know, that that's concerning. Um, you know, there are infrastructure issues that I'm concerned about there, there are, that that's a big deal. And I think that's a major concern. Uh, you know, I was asked the other day, what do, what would be my goal? One of my goals would be to, uh, do, to conduct a, uh, a, 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 you know, to, to build a master plan. You know, we don't have a master plan to do for, a master plan really? for Johnson County. I think we huh. need a master plan for the next 10 years and kind of forecast. I mean, you know, you need a plan to grow, Yeah. you know, particularly, uh, you know, and again, having some, uh, EM background with yourself in education, uh, you know, flood, flood management, flood mm-hmm. control is a big deal. I mean, how many times do we have rain come through and we have yeah. high water rescue? Well, that yeah. tends to tell me that either roads are improperly, improperly constructed, put in the wrong place, or some of the flood control measures weren't uh, enacted or maybe some shortcuts taken. So I think we have to be very, very. Well, wasn't that a kind of a big deal for uh, the last freeze last February where there wasn't a whole lot of, at least from my perspective, it seemed like it just, the county dropped the ball. That's for me. And a lot of cities also were looking to different resources. It just, it was all of a cluster. Yeah. A lot of cities were like that whenever it froze over last Friday. Well, it's, that's such an unexpected situation. Well, I agree. Yeah. But shouldn't that be one of the main things you think about as in your hazard assessment? Well, yeah. I mean, it, when you, when you do risk assessment, yeah. yeah, you are to have contingency plans if the potential is there. For instance, so with my, my, uh, NTD disaster response network, 
uh, I kind of do that. So if I preposition my equipment, you know, I want to do a risk assessment. So for instance, my territory goes all the way down to Brownwood. Well, you're not likely to have a tornado in Brownwood. So why would I want ch- chainsaw crews in that area? I'm not, I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility, uh-huh. but on a typical assessment, it's not going. So what are some of the, <coughs> pardon me, what are some of the dangers or some of the uh, risks that would be involved in, in Brownwood wildfires being one of them, mm. you know, uh, windstorms. I mean, there, there, there are things that, that happen down there, but you're not going to have that in a greater probability of happening. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to East Texas. Now East Texas, you're probably going to have, tornadoes mm-hmm. uh in the southern part of my territory down in livingston you're going to have hurricanes you're going to get yeah. some of the uh some of the effects of hurricanes so <clears throat> i think you have to manage so that would you know that it, again is an issue with the with the growth of the county but i really believe i i go back to what i said earlier i i really believe that there's a disconnect between the government and people and i think that is a i know, I know everybody laughs when i say something like that um, you know, it's like, well, he don't understand. No, I understand. I understand quite well, but there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about a community, if there's a disconnect, you know, the Bible says that a heart divided against itself, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. If, if there's not, uh, unity mm-hmm. and I'm not, unity's not uniformity. If there's not, if we don't come together as people of Johnson County, uh, we're not a community. We're also kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you don't know what kind of resources you have with sure. the county. Like if you're not talking to people and right. knowing what skills are out there that you can tap into, how are you going to know what's going to happen? Like, I wonder if if there was more <laughs> communication with local governments and this people that they would it would actually help the local government massively because they'll be able to tap into skills that they didn't know that they had. Exactly, that's where the network comes in. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me, the growth is the problem, or you know, is a big thing facing the community. But I I think probably on the same level would be that that relationship between the local taxpayer. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that there's got to be some uh, some repairing of that breach so that we can come together and focus on what makes Johnson County. So, so why would I move to Johnson County? You know, we gotta, we've got to come together and, uh, and, and reassert our values and say, this is what makes us unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that takes all of us working together. So if you walked into, into our church, um, I have wealthy people that attend the church there and I have people that can't pay rent, but you would not know the difference in the way they're treated. And I think that's what has to happen in, in, in government. Hmm. It's it back to like um talking and just communicating with people. It's mind boggling to me that in our tech savvy age, that government is so far behind. Yeah, like this, it blows my mind. I well, mean, it's kind of interesting because the military, you know. So when I was in the military, of course, we got all the the toys being uh-huh. being uh, in that e tech and under the special operations at that time. Not really spec ops. People have a different idea of that, but. I tell everybody we're somewhere between special operations and special ed. <laughs> so we, we kind of range in there somewhere. Um, it's kind of branch specific. Too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah. Don't shoot me. <laughs> so, so, so the, we got cool toys and you know, what's funny is, you know, when I got out of the service, uh, you know, five, 10 years later, some of the technology that I'm seeing in, in public, are things that was introduced when I was, and I thought, wow, you know, 20 years ago, kind of interesting. Uh, but no, I agree. I mean, there are different platforms there. There's such a variety. So, so when the pandemic hit and for churches in particular, many churches, we'd been online for a while. So for us, it really wasn't a big deal to 
do online only for a mm-hmm. period of time. It really wasn't that big a deal. Now we had some, uh, we had some hardware issues that we had to, we had to address and some upgrades that need to be done, but we were on there. But then there were a lot of churches that it caught them totally unprepared for ministry in the 21st century. And I think that's what happens with the government. You know, we get, we get stuck in systems and patterns and there's so many platforms available to connect and communicate with people uh, that I think all of them are to be utilized. And I think they are to be utilized properly. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on a, nothing worse than going on a website or a Facebook or something. And you see two year, posts from two years ago and nothing's been updated. <laughs> or a, uh, just a phone set up on the side while you're talking to it. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> there are better ways, there are ways to get around this. And I'm kind of curious as technology is advancing at this rapid pace, is there anything that local government can do in your opinion to keep along with that same track? Well, I'm not a techie, so, so that's a little <laughs> bit outside of my realm, but no, I, I, you know, I, so I have a guy, I'm a plug and play guy. So if I plug it in and I try to play it and it doesn't work, I'm hollering help, <laughs> but there are people that are gifted in that. Yeah. They're very skilled. And so I do think technology is one of the solutions moving forward. I mm-hmm. think there are many programs out there um, that, again, whether you're talking about connecting with the the taxpayer or you're talking about managerial side of mm-hmm. it, of taking care of employees and things like that, there, there are a lot of options that are out there that I think need to be employed. I mean, the idea is not working harder. It's working smarter. Hmm. Yeah. As one of the phrases that we use in Nicaragua a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can shovel that concrete like right. that, or you can do it together and work smarter. Yeah. Or go rent a mixer. That's yeah. what we did. Yeah, we, I wish. <laughs> no, we we uh, we definitely shoveled an entire basketball court of concrete. Oh my goodness. Um, just from literally from scratch. They had uh, the concrete, and we bucketed water, the sand, and the yeah, in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't afford that. Golly, man. Um, so growth, communication are the two main ones that you're looking at right now. Is there anything else that you well, see? Well, I think taxes. I think taxes are a big deal. Uh, you know, but that's a two that's a two edged sword. Yeah. Uh, because you start talking about taxes, you all have you also have to talk about spending. Mm-hmm. And so budgeting. How we budget. Exactly. I, I think that again, budget reflects the values of the community. And if you're not so so see how everything's tied together. Mm-hmm. So if budgeting should reflect the values of the community, if I'm not communicating with my community, then how do I know their values? Who sets the values? Well, it's the ones who show up. That's who sets the values. Mm-hmm. So that's why being involved is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a public comment sec uh, opportunity at each of the meetings, whether it be commissioner's court, city council, things like that. Those are the times or and they also have uh, if there's items that are up for uh, agenda items you can also speak on those subjects. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get to communicate your values because if you don't, you know, if you don't communicate the value and nobody else communicates the value, then they assume the value and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And and I think we have to be careful about that. So, so to me, the third thing, uh, and and again, that maybe they're all tied for the top because property taxes in Texas is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be, and I'm not saying relief. I, I think it's wrong personally. I think it's wrong to, uh, tax a person's home. Um, you know, I, w- when I went through survival school, you know, there are three things they teach you in survival school and that is food, water or water, you know, whatever the order that mm-hmm. water, food, and shelter. Those are important to your survival survivability. Uh, we're taxing people's homes to the point where, uh, ancestral land is being sold because they can't afford the taxes on it. Uh, you've got, elderly that live on fixed incomes. And I know we talk about freezing, but uh, you know, I get a new move, move beyond that. I I just think it's absolutely wrong to do that. So, uh, I think taxes is a, is a big issue. Mm. Um, and, and spending because, 
taxes go up because spending goes up. And, and so I think you have to be very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking Cognizant. for? Cognizant. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're intentional. Mm. I think your spending needs to be very intentional. And again, that spending needs to reflect the values of the community. You know, government doesn't produce anything. And this is what I try to tell people all the time. Look, government doesn't produce anything. Okay, so if you walk in there as a citizen and say, hey, uh, I want you to build a park. And I'm not against parks, okay? I, I'm not at all. But if you, I, I believe the government has a, a, has a limited, defined role. So if you go in there as a citizen and say, I want a park, the city or county or whatever level government is going to say, okay, well, then they're going to tax you to buy the property. Yeah. And because they don't produce anything, now they're going to tax you more to buy the equipment to build the park. Mm -hmm. And because they don't produce anything, now they're going to tax you to maintain the equipment that you went and asked them to, to build. And it's never stops. And so at some point, I think we have to look at what is the, what's the essential role of government? What are we here for? What is it? What well, is I the think, essential role? Well, I think the essential role is going to be your EMS, you know, your EMS services. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be your infrastructure, mm -hmm. uh, you know, public safety, things of that nature. Those are essential. Uh, your hospitals, th those things are essential. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that if we say focus on that, like you think about the federal government, you know, border security, uh, uh, an active, strong military, those are things that are essential to yeah. the sovereignty of our nation. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to know, uh, you know, there was a study some years ago, the Department of Commerce or Interior, I don't remember which one it did, did it. They studied, spent $75,000 to figure out the, the flow rate of Heinz ketchup. I don't need what? to. I don't need to know that. Why do, why do I need to know that? What? Yeah. So so I mean I think we get into things that you know <sighs> you know used to when I was a kid probably a teenager you know they were talking about millions of dollars and then when I got in my twenties they were talking about billions of dollars and now we're at trillions of dollars mm -hmm. and you think about it we're we as a nation are twenty eight I know I'm I'm chasing rabbits but we're twenty eight trillion dollars in debt twenty eight trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. If you were to stack, uh, again, I like these things. So, 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 put it this way: If you went in business when Jesus was born, two thousand years ago, you started a business. You were open every day, never closed, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year, and you lost one million dollars every single day, and you were still in business today. You would not have lost a trillion dollars. And we're twenty-eight twenty. Twenty-eight trillion in debt. It's it's out. It's, it's spending. Jeez. Yeah. You know, taxes are an issue, uh, and I think we have to. Uh, I think get rid of. Surely, if we can put a man on the moon, we'd come up with a better taxing system. Yeah. So. Yeah. So to me, a, those are the th those are the big the issues big for me. Yeah. And that's kind of why you want to run. Yeah. You want to change all that. Yeah. So let me ask you this: um, What makes you different than the other candidates? For me, you know, each candidate I, you know, that I've had on so far, they they say some cool things. I yeah. like what they're saying. Um, I, there's a little bit of each that I could get behind and vote for. So what makes you so special? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have to, you know, I, you, have, you know, for me, I, I again, I, I'd have to say my track record, you know, again, okay. it's, it's very difficult for me to talk like that. Cause I, I love people. Mm -hmm. Um, and my whole life has been about serving people. Uh, I serve people. I don't care what their skin color is. I don't care their economic status their education. I, I don't have, I don't really care. You know, my commitment, you know, the three pillars of, of who I am, my campaign, faith, family, and freedom. Those are the three prongs 
of who I am. And, and they shape, you know, faith is not something that I sprinkle on uh, just to sound cool or to appeal to a certain crowd. Faith is who I am. It is, it is woven into the fabric of who I am. And so the decisions, I have to make decisions all the time, whether it be in my disaster relief role or as a, as a lead pastor. Um, you know, when I came to Johnson County, when I came to Cleburne, we had 30 people in that church. Uh, and it was in quite disrepair. And we have grown uh, into a very strong uh, church, uh, a church that has impacted the community and continues to do so. Uh, that's done through leadership and 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 knowing how to manage mm-hmm. people and volunteers, the disaster uh, relief agency. Again, those things are, uh, are a reflection of my values and my character. Mm-hmm. And, and I think all you have to do is look at that. I see, So I think what makes me unique is I truly care about people and, and I want to... I want to serve them. I want, you know, I want to help alleviate, uh, you know, the world's, it's tough. Life's tough right now. And to be able to, to just go with somebody and help them through a difficult situation. I remember an incident in, uh, when I was an inspector for the city of Irving, we had an elderly lady that, uh, she was a widow. Um, and somebody had turned her in on a, on a health violation, health code violation on her property. And so I go out there and do the inspection and sure enough, she's in violation of, couple state laws and a couple city ordinances. And the protocol was to, you know, write her up and give her, you know, 10 days to repair, bring it into compliance. Um, there's no way this lady could have done that, you know, sweet old lady. Um, and so what I did was that when I got back to my office, I went into my immediate supervisor and I said, look, here, here's what I'd like to do. You know, I, I want to connect with some of the civic groups here in town and some of the churches because this lady, she can't, she can't do that. And she said, well, you know, whatever you think, go ahead. So I did, I reached out to some churches and we set up on a particular Saturday. I went out there with them. I said, okay, these are the areas. And then I jumped in and we got that lady, uh, into compliance and, uh, and, and left. And, and I just, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I think what sets me apart is, uh, I, you know, I truly care about people mm. and, and it's been document, well documented. Um, I, I received a key to the city in 2018 wow. for service to the community. Nice. And then last year I received a, a mayoral distinguished service award for service to the community. So mm. again, I, I did it before I ever knew about running for politics, mm. you know, an office. I, I was serving when that's just what service does and it doesn't change. I won't yeah. change. That's an interesting dynamic. I was just thinking about that being a pastor and then running for office. Two are very important positions, both important positions. But as a pastor, I wonder if that's kind of hard sometimes because as a pastor, you're supposed to shepherd, you're supposed to point to Jesus. Um, but there's a there's a level now you kind of have to like shift your dynamic in bringing the attention to yourself because you have to show your confidence in all public office. Because they are, and I'm not, that's definitely not a slide at all. That's actually, it's more of a question on that, that weird dynamic that you probably had to, to figure out while running. How's that been? Has that been different for you? No, actually, a lot of people think it's cool. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Be, well, because one thing that I bring to the table is, is temperament mm-hmm. and character. You know, again, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, you know, character, as, as a pastor, you're always, you know, it's like, uh, like the glass house that people talk about, yeah. the proverbial glass house. I'm PK man, I get it. Yeah, so so you understand. <laughs> yeah. So so you're always visible, yeah. um, uh, and so you have to live your life in such a way that, regardless of where you are, uh, 
you know, you can't be one way on Sunday and be something else. Absolutely. And, and, and so I think that kind of gives me an edge. Mm. I, I, I really do. I really believe it gives me an edge in the sense that, you know, my character has been out there for almost 29 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, what you see is what you get. And, and for some, I'm a little much. <laughs> and for some, I'm not enough. I mean, I so, like your confidence. The so, confidence is cool. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm confident in who I am. Yeah. You know, I, I, why are you confident in who you are? Because I am who Christ made me to be. And what does that mean to you? Um, it, again, I know this is redundant, but it goes back to first and foremost, I'm a King's kid. You know, I belong to Christ. He's, uh, I'm an heir and joint heir of Christ. Of course, that's the, the scriptural answer. But I'm a servant. I, I I truly believe my purpose here on 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 this planet is to show Christ likeness in serving others, mm. and at whatever level. So so when this opportunity uh, presented itself, I talked to obviously several several people, and one of the guys I I said, well, why me? I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm, mm. I'm just a pastor, yeah. even though my background is <laughs> much else. more than just a pastor. Yeah. And and he said, well, there are two things uh, that I like about you, and and, and the one thing. Is uh, he said? I just he said I've, I've I've observed you for years, and he said I don't think you can be bought, hmm. and and that really spoke to me. And I thought, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that I've lived my life in such a way that people look at me and say, you know, there's a guy that can't be bought. That he lives his convictions, and he sticks by them. And and obviously, being a PK, you understand that there are times as a pastor you have to make decisions that are not always uh, popular. Mm-hmm. So when I worked for the city of Irving, I actually was on the fast track. I you know, if I'd stayed with the city, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, I probably would have been in city management. Uh, you know, I mean, I just kind of took to it. I just, everything I've done when I was in the military, uh, I was what to call below the zone. I got promoted early because, uh, again, I just, I'm 110% all the way. If I commit to something, mm-hmm. I give everything that I have. And so I got promoted below the zone uh, in the city. I started as a, uh, as a bottom inspector. I'm a lead inspector five years later. Uh, you know, it would have been up and we were what they call bivocational back then. So I worked oh, full yeah. time and, and the church oh, was small. Yeah. And plus I lived in Duncanville. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So it's just, a, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but when the church, uh, we'd moved down here and uh, I was commuting back to Irving every day. And when the church hit 200, uh, we had a, and I won't ever forget it. We had a man in the church that had been there long before I got there, passed away. And I could not be there. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? This church deserves somebody to be here full time. And I said, so I need to really pray about, you know, what I, you know, my future, our future. You know, do I, do I get out? You know, I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very comfortable. I was making a living with the city and they paid very well. And then I was preaching on the side, which I'd scratched, scratched that itch. <laughs> and I thought that's pretty cool. Uh, but then there had to, you know, there was that moment I had to make a decision mm-hmm. and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do, you know, because I understand the dynamics. If I get up there and say the wrong thing, you know how the nature of people are. Oh, you yeah. say the wrong thing yeah. and half of them get up and walk out. And that was very concerning to me because I had a family mm-hmm. and I felt like the Lord impressed upon me that day. I said, Mike, if you'll follow me, I'll guide, I'll take care of you all the days of your life and I'll direct your steps. And I really felt that. And so when I resigned in 96, um, I can remember it just like it was that cartoon commercial or that cartoon show. I packed all my stuff from City Hall there in Irving on Irving Boulevard, packed it all in a box. I carried it outside for the last time, put it in the back seat of my car. And as I'm driving 
watching in my rearview mirror City Hall grow smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, I felt that first in- instinct of, you idiot, what did yeah. you, what what did have you I do? Done? <laughs> yeah. And the Lord reminded me, Mike, I, I, I will take care of you. Huh. And you know what? That's been almost 30 years ago. Hmm. And, and I believe that with this opportunity to serve, I think that, you know, hey, if the Lord wants me to serve in a, in a, in a greater role and have a, a, a greater influence as a county judge, then I'll step into that role. I will gladly serve. I'll serve the same way. Again, I don't know. I, there's no pretense with me. I, have, I, I don't know how to be any other way than just the way I am. I crack, I crack jokes. You know, I'm a little corny at, at times. I just, you know, we're doing a forum the other <laughs> night at the conference center and, you know, it's up on this, in this stage area. And so, uh, you know, I'm the last of the county judge candidates to go. And so I walk out there and I'm standing on the stage and I'm looking out and I see all these people sitting out in the seats. And I said, I kind of feel like I'm at an American Got Talent audition, <laughs> you know? And that's how, just how many people showed up to that, uh, by the way? That um, you know, if I was guessing, maybe 100, 150, maybe tops. Okay. Yeah. Um, so but that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, as we kind of wrap up, what are the, some of the last things you want to say to anybody listening to this who might be on the edge for voting for you or not? I would say do your homework. Again, I, I think that, uh, again, I don't, I don't know any of the others. I, I really don't. Um, I'm not running against them. I'm running for a position, and I would encourage any voter, again, whether it's the local election or any, do your homework. Don't vote for someone just because they have more signs than you, they have TV advertising, they have these people promoting them uh, or, or, or uh, uh, endorsing them. Go do your homework. And, and then as uh, Mayor Scott Kane says, pray about it <laughs> and then vote. And, and I truly believe that because, um, you know, who, who knows? Uh, again, if you only go by pop, if if you only go by what the establishment says, the endorsers are all all aligning behind this candidate. Do your homework and make sure. Again, the county judge is the uh, he's the chief. I call him chief, but he's the presiding officer uh, of the commissioner's court. Uh, he is the chief budgeting officer, and he is the chief emergency manager for the county. Uh, he has some other roles, minor roles, but that that's the, his primary roles. You know, there, there's no legal thing to it. You know, in fact, yeah. 200, 254 counties in Texas, only 40 of them have a county judge that actually has a law degree. Mm. Most of them are going to be manager, manage, managerial degrees, yeah. business people, because that's what it is. It's a yeah. county administrator. So I think look look for people who's been in charge. County administrator. That's a good way to say it. I, I, yeah. yeah. I think it's a misnomer because people, yeah. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I didn't know you yeah. had a law degree. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm like, I, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly didn't know until I started talking to you guys. Yeah. Until I started talking to the candidates, I realized, oh, you don't you don't have to have that. So it makes sense now. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the infinite wisdom of the state. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's just one of those mm-hmm. uh, positions. And, and again, it administers the county program. Mm-hmm. And so you want someone who's actually been in charge. So uh, my, my parting words would be do your homework, research the candidates. Don't get sucked into, you know, the popularity or, or, or those types of influence. Look in fact at who's had, who has experience, mm. who you think at this moment, you know, uh, somebody asked me the other, I'm not a lifetime politician. I want to go and serve as long as the Lord wants me to serve. If it's one term, two terms, I, I believe in term limits. Um, uh, so I, I, I truly, if the Lord opens up this opportunity for me to serve and I'm elected, I will serve until it's, you know, the Lord says it's time to, time to move on. And I won't be lifer, I promise. So it seems like your definite your identi- identification of what this position is, is not a politician, but more of a county servant. 
Sure. Okay, very much which, so. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Which is kind of nice to hear. Yeah, very <laughs> much. Yeah. Putting service back in public service. That's what I'm all about. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. And uh, this will post here in just a few days. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much.